On today's Blue Bay Insights, Head of Emerging Markets, Polina Kurdiavko, speaks with Institutional Portfolio Manager, Claudio de Gamma-Rose. Hello, Polina. Let's start with a recap on the price action we witnessed in April. Are there any price dislocations from an emerging market debt perspective that have surprised you? Um, well, April has been quite a strong month, but it's interesting to note that the performance of different EM sub-assets has not been the same. While broadly, uh, DM fixed income assets have recovered, both high yield and investment grade, we've seen meaningful divergence within EM between the corporate and sovereign performance. On the corporate side, we've seen uh, the index being up over 4% with high yield corporates leading the way, clo- registering close to 6% returns. While on the sovereign side, the index was up around 3%, and actually, high yield has delivered half of the return on the sovereign side than it has done on the corporate side. Now, that lagging is not surprising to a large degree because we've seen further dislocation within the EM sovereign high yield space, in particular the credits that trade at 70, 80 cents on the dollar, where investors are trying to understand the path for those sovereigns going forward over the next 12 months. While on the corporate side, We've seen high yield being better supported given the different, if you will, postcodes, i.e. most of the high yield that performed well was driven by Asian high yield, in particular Chinese real estate, that led the recovery in April. Um, Now, what surprised me was stronger than expected performance on the local currency side. If we look at the index level, the index was up about 4%, but actually Asia um, as a region outperformed the other two, delivering over 6% return. What is interesting that out of the 6% total return, only 2% were driven by rates and 4% was driven by effects appreciation. It's interesting that in the environment where most of investors questioning the strength of the dollar and ability of EMFX to perform, when we look at last month's performance, uh, Indonesia was one of the key outperformers in the market as investors were viewing Asia as a safer place to add risk given that China and Korea um, were the first to come out of the lockdown, as well as uh, supportive measurement measures that we've seen from a central bank. Going forward, we would expect that differentiation uh, to continue in the local currency markets. Thank you. Over the last few weeks, we have seen plenty of new issuance from emerging market sovereigns. Do you expect corporates to follow in the coming weeks? Hmm. If we look at the issuance in the corporate space in March, we've seen only $10 billion being printed in the emerging market corporate hard currency debt. This has been the lowest number since 2009. Now, it's not surprising that most of that issuance comes from Asia, again, the region where investors have more risk appetite. Year-to-date, however, numbers are looking a bit better. We've had $130 billion year-to-date issuance which compares similarly to the previous years. And Cellside is forecasting another $300 billion to come from between now and year-end. Now, in net terms, we expect the corporates to have net flat financing for the year. Now, in my view, we might be uh, surprised on the downside in terms of the amount of issuance that we could see from the corporate space, mostly driven by two factors. Firstly, there is capital for high yield issuance. Is so far, majority of the supply that we've seen, if not all supply, came from investment grade names. And we would expect investment grade names to dominate 
new shoe pipeline for 2020. And secondly, the focus on domestic refinancing as alternative. If we look at yearly forecast for emerging market corporate issues, out of close to $500 billion that the banks expected EM corporates to print, over $320 billion comes from Asia. And here we feel that the ability of the local market to provide an alternative source of funding for those corporates will be the determinant factor in terms of the total volume of corporate issuance that we're likely to see from the region. Last but not least, I would also add that the corporates that have come in IG space have performed very well. Um, we've seen most of the new issues in the IG space tightening and spread between 15 to 50 basis points. And I would also make a notable reference to oil and gas related companies. So we've seen Ecopet in Colombia and Petronas in Malaysia issuing new corporate debt despite being in the oil and gas industry, that debt was very well received by the market. That is positive comment for, for the sector as a whole. Moving the discussion on to geopolitics, in recent days, there has been a rise in political tensions from the US and Europe towards China. How do you expect the recent deterioration of China's political relationship with the West to affect the economic and market outlook? Um, we believe that the negative rhetorics is part of the U.S. pre-election campaign. And in that respect, we would expect that negative rhetorics to continue. However, we should not underestimate the supply chains and the interconnectivity between the countries in the West with China. Just to give you one anecdotal evidence, China supplies over 90% of all antibiotics to the U.S. And we have plenty of other examples to demonstrate that if those supply chains were to be stopped, the countries that would be more at risk are the countries in developed markets. Therefore, in terms of our outlook on the economic developments and performance of the market, we feel that that rhetoric will be more rhetoric through the Twitter headlines rather than translate into some more aggressive, if you will, actions against China that would have meaningful economic and market implications. Now, would like to get your thoughts about inflation. Generally, markets have been expecting a deflationary bias as a consequence of the coronavirus shock. Any chance that markets might be surprised on inflation? This is a very interesting question. If we look at the statistics so far, in emerging markets, and I would say even broadly across the globe, inflation has surprised on the downside. Uh, we've seen some positive impact from the lower oil price as well coming through. However, we should not forget that the food inflation is likely to rise. And food forms a big part of the CPI basket in many emerging market countries. So in my personal view, I would not be surprised to see a spike in inflation in certain EMEAM countries. And in that sense, having exposure to inflation-linked bonds can provide one of the best defenses against that shock. And as a wrap-up for our listeners, how would you summarize where the key opportunities and risks today lie within the various segments of emerging market debt? We continue to believe that safe carry is investors' top priority. And EM investment-grade credit is now offering that safe carry, um, given the repricing that we've seen post the coronavirus. Just to give you an anecdotal evidence, 
of the spread widening. Now, the AA-rated Qatar offers you more spread than a single B-rated Greece. And we like Greece as a credit. Imagine if we like Greece, how much would we like Qatar, given the spreads that is there on offer for the credit quality? That's one side of the barbell, which we continue to see demand from investors. And that explains pretty strong performance, both on the corporate and sovereign side of the new issues. On the other side of the barbell, we have distressed assets, and particularly in the sovereign space. Going forward, I think the biggest dislocation will continue to be in the middle of the barbell, in the high-yield space and credits that traded 50 to 70 cents on the dollar. And that's the space that we're doing more work on, and we're starting already now to find some interesting opportunities there. But we would expect more volatility today going forward. As for the risks, I think the risks are more structural in nature. As we discussed last time, this crisis is unusual in the sense that we're coming out of this crisis with more debt than we came into this and with lower growth. In that sense, that means that we are unlikely to see any V-shaped recovery in most of developed market and emerging market countries. What does a W-shape mean for investors? It means more volatility. It means more dislocation. It means a period where we might not, if you will, normalize uh, over a short period of time, but we'll continue to see spread differentiation and performance differentiation across corporate and sovereign credits. That should be a very good environment for active investors like ourselves. Thank you, Paulina, for your time. Thank you. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties, as defined by the FCA only, and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice, and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except for suitant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials, the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. 
Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, Registered Office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K3JR, Partnership Registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.